You are listening to the Life Church Podcast. To learn more about Life Church, our gathering times at any of our central Indiana locations, or our Life Crew online, visit us at lifechurchin.com or follow the link in the description. Today's talk is from Pastor Tina Avey. Um, and what's been happening, super long story short, we're talking about King David. He has a son, Absalom. Um, and Absalom is rebelling against his father, trying to kill David so that he can be king. That's like a super short version of everything that's happened. But that's where we are. And in chapter 17, Pastor Nathan, we talked about two counselors that were helping Absalom. One whose name was Ahithophel, but he's okay. Troy Pavey gets credit for that. Best dad joke I've heard in a minute. Rock on. Yeah, that was awesome. Uh, So we talked about Ahithophel, um, who was a friend of David's, Bathsheba's grandpa. It's a whole convoluted story. He's helping Absalom in his conspiracy against David. Um, And then we had Hushai, who was actually loyal to David, who also got in Absalom's camp to kind of thwart the advice of Ahithophel. Um, and then, so we see uh, Absalom actually takes Hushai's advice. Ahithophel's advice was actually really good in terms of battle. Um, but the Lord used Hushai to kind of to get in the middle of that, thwart that plan. And so Absalom goes with Hushai's plan, which actually helps save David and the kingdom. Um, so that's kind of where we left off. Um, Ahithophel's advice didn't get followed. He reacts by hanging himself um, in despair. And there was a lot of reasons to that. I can't re-preach chapter 17, so you might want to go back and listen to it. But that's kind of where we are. David went to Gilead, uh, where he has support, he has friends, and they were just taking care of him and his men and, and brought them food and barley. Whenever it says barley, I'm like, what do you do with barley? Like, are you just eating barley? Is it good? I don't know. But they, he was bringing, they were bringing them nourishment, giving them rest, and so that's where we pick up. And I had to explain all that because the very first word in chapter 18 is then. <laughs> You're like, well, what happened before then? So now I just told you. Uh, all right, so here we go. Verse 1. David mustered the men who were with him, set over them commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds. And David sent out the army one-third under the command of Joab, one-third under the command of Abishai, son of Zariah, Joab's brother, and one-third under the command of Ittai the Gittites. So David has received this refreshment, and they're heading out. And Ittai the Gittite, um, he was a foreigner. And... Um, Actually, when Absalom first began to rebel, uh, David had decided they were going to flee. And so as David takes his people to flee and to leave, uh, Ittai the Gittite is like, well, we're coming. He literally had arrived the day before. And King David's like, hey, you guys don't have, like, this isn't your battle. You just got here. Like, you don't want to put your people in harm's way. And... um. Ittai the Gittite says to him, wherever my lord the king may be, whether it means life or death, there your servant will be. 
How many of you know, have ever experienced that the hardest times reveal great friends? Have you ever been there? Even an unexpected one. Maybe someone that you might not have called when that thing happened, but they showed up anyway. I remember um, when my father died, um, if you've lost a parent, I mean, it's been about 12 years, but when you remember, it feels like yesterday, and all that stuff comes back up. But I remember when he died, um, he lived in Crown Point, so it was quite a drive. I had to come home and get my family and get stuff together, and I got a call from one of my friends like this, because this is what you do. Just I got a call from one of my friends who's like, hey, can you just give us 30 minutes? And I'm like, okay, sure. So uh, I, I met them at Starbucks. There was three, three friends that sat with me. They bought my coffee, and we sat in a circle. And um, they just leaned in, looked into my eyes, and they said, are you okay? How can we, what do you need? And if you've ever had a close family member pass away, like there's a lot going on. And I had to get my kids packed, and, my, and we had to travel three more hours. We had to go back up north, and all these things happened. But someone saw the wisdom of stopping, saying, are you okay? What do you need? The hardest times can reveal great friends that you can count on when you need them the most. And you might be here and saying, well, Pastor Tina, but I don't, I don't know who those people are necessarily. That's what this is. That's what this is for. This is why the community of God, this is why if you're online joining us, I'm glad you are. I encourage you to get where God's people are. Get in a life group. Get to know people. This is, this is what we do. David needed people. We need each other. So on with uh, the rest of verse 2. And the king said to the men, I myself will also go out with you. But the men said, you shall not go out. For if we flee, they won't care about us. If half of us die, they won't care about us. But you are worth 10,000 of us. Therefore, it's better that you send us help from the city. So the king said to them, well, whatever seems best to you, that's what I will do. And so the king stood at the side of the gate, and while all the army marched about by hundreds and thousands, and the king ordered Joab and Abishai and Ittai, deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. And all the people heard when the king gave orders to all the commanders about Absalom. So there's a couple things going on. First of all, the men understand David is the target. He is the thing that Absalom and his men are after. And so if David gets killed in battle, it's over. The kingdom's done, battle's done, everyone goes home. It's a loss, right? But then David makes this comment. Be gentle for my sake with the young man, Absalom. That phrase, the young man, in the Hebrew, is the it's very similar. It's like, my son. Be gentle with my son, Absalom. And if you can imagine how David's heart was wrenched at the idea of what was going to happen to his son. But at the same time, what if David would have made this heart connection with his son years ago? 
What have we learned about David? He might have been wise in, in the affairs of kings and battles, but when it came to his family, he was not the picture of a good father. Out of all of his children, his son Amnon raped his daughter Tamar, raped his sister. After that happened, David did nothing. According to scripture, what we read, he doesn't even comfort Tamar. She's basically sent away to live with her brother Absalom. And Amnon, you think, well, surely there's justice. Surely he did something with Amnon. Did nothing. No justice for his daughter at all. So Absalom, enraged by the lack of justice for his sister, takes matters into his own hands and kills Amnon for himself. And David's response? No repentance, no remorse, no comfort, no fathering. His response was Absalom basically had to leave. And when Absalom was allowed back, he was not permitted to see his father, the king. When it comes to his family, David might have been great in battle, but awful in parenting. And I think it's a sobering reminder for us. You can be the CEO of whatever, but how you handle your family how you parent your children, how you show up in their greatest time of need matters far more. Because now David's in a situation where his two worlds are colliding. The battlefield and the home have collided and it's, the results are, it's a catastrophe. And it's devastating and it's tragic and it never had to be. And so all of this could be the reason, too, that the men are like, David, you're not coming. How many of you remember, if you go back and and listen or, or read your word, when Saul was pursuing David, he's chasing David all over God's creation. David's taking all of the men with him. They're running from Saul. They're hiding in caves. And, and, and a couple times, like, David's men had an opportunity. They're like, we got him. He's right there. And David says, don't touch Saul. So if you're Joab and and these men and you're planning your strategy to go stop this rebellion against the kingdom, you know, David can't go. Because if David's there and he sees Absalom and the opportunity is there, what is David going to do? Don't touch my son. If David had been a dad when it was needed, how much different would this whole story have played out? And it's interesting, too, because the men know Absalom's always going to be a threat. There's no, like, reasoning in all of this. And there's reasons why. I'll explain that a little bit later. But the last time, if you remember, when David stayed back from battle, do you remember it was the spring and the kings went out to battle, but David didn't go that one time. And that's when he got into trouble with Bathsheba. This time, he's told not to go out to battle to stay out of trouble. 
In verse 6, the army went out into the field against Israel, and the battle was fought in the forest of Ephraim. And the men of Israel were defeated there by the servants of David. And the loss there was great on that day, 20,000 men. And the battle spread over the face of all the country, and the forest devoured more people that day than the sword. The forest of Ephraim and Gilead, more men were defeated by the forest than in battle. This terrain was super rough. We believe it was downhill and was heavily forested with trees. David has the advantage here. He knows this terrain. He's got support around him. And he has drawn the enemy to his, his ground where he has the advantage. Which brings me to, like, when you're fighting battles of the world, maybe at work, maybe they are family battles. Where do you fight? How do you fight? Who are you taking with you? Are you bathing those things in prayer? Are you gathering with like believers and saying, hey, can you pray with me about this? Can you help me walk through how you might handle this? Are you surrounding yourself and getting yourself the advantage? Or are you just reasoning on your own? pulling triggers and making decisions without coming before the Lord. How and where we fight our battles is a really big deal. In verse 9, Absalom happened to meet the servants of David, and Absalom was riding on his mule, and the mule went under the thick branches of a great oak, and his head caught fast in the oak, and he was suspended between heaven and earth, while the mule that was under him went on, and a certain man saw it and told Joab, Behold, I saw Absalom hanging in an oak. So you can imagine Absalom going downhill, this rough terrain, and it's heavily forested. But where it says oak, the, it's, the Hebrew has like male-female versions of words. So the word uh, a lot is oak. But the word that's used here is actually the female version of the word, which refers to a terebinth tree. And I have a picture of one. Um, this is what a terebinth tree looks like. So imagine a bunch of these in going downhill at a really fast speed. So it's kind of interesting. Um, these trees, as you can tell, they have like, it's almost like a thicket underneath and the canopy is really wide. Maybe not super tall, but it's really wide and there's lots of stuff underneath. So if you're, if you're surrounded by them, like right here, you know, there's like open space, you would go around it, but imagine like a forest and you're trying to go through it. The interesting thing is Absalom gets caught up in the tree. Um, what, what, was, what was Absalom's source of his pride? Do you, do you remember? What was it that he was so, his hair. They said that he would get his hair cut once a year, and when he did, it weighed five pounds. And he took great pride in this. I'm like, I kind of would like to see for myself. I don't know. Five, I don't know. That's, but that's a lot of hair, five pounds. Um, and so he went underneath the tree, and he literally got caught up in his pride. I can always count on Omar to get a laugh going. Thank you, Omar. <laughs> I appreciate that very much. Got a little awkward there for half a second. <laughs> but here's an interesting thing. These trees, actually, uh, there was um, a pagan goddess they would worship, uh, worship called Asherah. 
Um, and actually, they believed that Asherah would inhabit these trees. And it's not a huge thing. We're not going to, you know, park here for very long. But it is interesting thinking about when we hear the rest of this message because when Absalom was banished from King David, who remembers where he went? He went to his other grandpa, who was a pagan king in Gesher. Now, this king welcomed him and loved him and taught him the ways of battle and took him under his wing. And so it's very likely Absalom was actually raised in pagan understanding way more than Yahweh. And so it's just kind of ironic that his pride would get him caught up in a pagan tree. It actually, it, it's not that big of a deal right in this minute, but when you see what's coming, this bigger picture we're going to paint, um, you're going to understand why maybe this was a little more worth mentioning. All right, so verse 11. Joab said to the man who told him, What, you saw him? Why then did you not strike him there to the ground? I would have been glad to give you ten pieces of silver and a belt. But the man said to Joab, Even if I felt my felt in my hand the weight of a thousand pieces of silver, I would not reach out my hand against the king's son. For in our hearing, the king commanded you and Ibishai and Ittai, for my sake, protect the young man Absalom. On the other hand, if I had dealt treacherously against his life, and there's nothing hidden from the king, then you would have stood aloof. Joab said, I will not waste time like this with you. And he took three javelins in his hand. He thrust them into the heart of Absalom while he was still alive in the oak. And ten young men, Joab's armor bearers, surrounded Absalom, struck him, and killed him. So there's a lot in this little piece here. So the man heard what David had said, deal gently. And most commentators believe that means he wanted him brought home. He didn't want him killed. But this man makes a profound statement when he says, nothing doing, I'm not touching the king's son, because he says, nothing is hidden from the king. You do not think you can go against the king's son, against the king's orders, and not be found out. And furthermore, he said, and if I did it, you would stand there silent and let me hang for it. In our lives, there are a lot of influences to go against the king. There are a lot of, well, just this one time, or it's not that big of a deal. Does scripture really say, I mean, after all, that's Old Testament. There is nothing that's hidden from the king. He's omnipresent. He's omnipotent. (laughs) Omnipotent? Omnipotent. Oh, my goodness. That wasn't right either. We're moving on. <laughs> Nothing is hidden from the king. We can't hide things from the heavenly king. And Joab, he's been loyal to David for many, many years in battle, and he withstood David's grace towards Saul. All those times when they had the opportunity, David's like, don't touch Saul. Joab, if you can imagine, he's frustrated and frustrated and frustrated when he has the opportunity for victory and the king says, no, go. But he's still loyal and he stays with David all of these years, but he also knew that given the opportunity, Absalom would compromise the kingdom to keep Absalom safe. 
He would compromise the safety of his own soldiers to keep Absalom safe. So rather than listening to the king, Joab takes three javelins. Well, it says javelins. It's not like what we would picture. Like it wasn't like stabbing. It wasn't sharp necessarily. Um, When you look that up, it's like these three like sticks, like really large sticks. And he thrusts them into his heart and thrust him basically out of the tree. Because we know this because I think if you would have gotten stabbed in the heart three times, you're pretty much dead. But this doesn't say he killed him. The ten men struck him and killed him. So David said, deal gently with Absalom. Joab had another plan. He's like, I don't think so. But there is a reason when you think about, well, why ten men? Why did he have like this mob beat up Absalom to death? Because in that sort of a situation, not one person could have hung for the death of the king's son. There was not one person to be blamed. In verse 16, Joab blew the trumpet, and the troops came back from pursuing Israel, for Joab restrained them. And they took Absalom, threw him into a great pit in the forest, and raised over him a very great heap of stones. And all of Israel fled everyone to his own home. Now Absalom in his lifetime had taken and set up for himself the pillar that is in the king's valley. For he said, I have no son to keep my name in remembrance. He called the pillar after his own name. And to this day, it's called Absalom's monument. Absalom set himself up a place of honor. The Lord ordained he would be buried into a pit. This structure uh, still exists. Um, is called Absalom's tomb. It it doesn't really look like a pillar, nor is it a tomb, because it's not where he was actually buried. Um, But there is a structure. They call it Absalom's tomb. But it's it's a place of scorn. So as people walked by this Absalom's monument, they literally would throw rocks at it and throw stones at it and spit on it because of Absalom's rebellious nature. As a matter of fact, parents, if they had disobedient and disrespectful children, would take them to Absalom's monument. Say, do you see what happens to rebellious and disrespectful children? I'm thinking of building one. (laughs) I think that would work, I think that would go over. We'll talk about funding at the end of the service. I'm just kidding. So all of these scriptures, these 18 verses, there's so many. Like, this is a series. We could talk about parenting, fathering, boundaries. We could talk about pride and idol worship. We could talk about loyalty to a king when, you're, when your heart doesn't want to do what the king said. Like, we could go on and on pulling things out of this. And so I encourage you, like, get a good book, get a commentary, open up your word, and go digging. Like, There is so much more than what we can give you here in the time that we're given. But none of those are what we're focusing on. None of those are it. There is an it with this scripture, and it's not what any of us thought. There's an inner betrayal, and there's an outer betrayal. You are about to see the word of God come to life in an amazing way. Lord, help them to see. In Jesus' name. Ahithophel was one of David's most trusted and closest men, just like Judas was. Judas was only one of 12 disciples uh, who went everywhere with Jesus. 
And here's what King David wrote about Ahithophel in Psalm 55. If an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were rising against me, I could hide. But it's you. A man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship at the house of God as we walked about among the worshipers. Judas, we read in John 13, 21, when Jesus had said this, he became troubled in spirit and testified and said, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. You know, often when we think about Judas' betrayal, we just kind of read about it. Like, oh, Jesus knew. Jesus knew he was, you know, the rotten apple in the bunch. Like, so we just kind of skim over it. Like, everyone knows Judas was the bad guy. But the thing is, Jesus really loved Judas. Scripture does not tell us that Jesus loved the 11 and tolerated Judas. He, was, he called him friend. He called the betrayer of all betrayers friend. And so when we think about the betrayal that happened, we have to get our hearts there with Jesus. He felt that pain. Scripture says we don't have a high priest that can't relate to our troubles. We have one who understands the pain we go through in this life as people. He felt heartbreak. In Matthew 26, 50, Jesus said to him, Do what you came for, friend. No treachery is worse than the betrayal of a family member or a friend. Ahithophel advised Absalom to go after David with 12,000 men. God thwarted that plan. Judas does the same thing to Jesus, but succeeds with 600 Roman soldiers. And the end of Ahithophel and Judas. Ahithophel left... And what, what did we learn last week? He left, he went home, he took out his affairs in order, he took care of the money, took care of the house, and then went and hung himself. What did Judas do? He ran, he left, he took care of the money, returned it to the Pharisees, and went and hung himself. In these moments, you have to understand this is one story. There is not an old story and a new story. From Genesis to Revelation, this book is Jesus. There's more. We're just getting started. The tragedy is Ahithophel would have David undone. David would have spared Ahithophel and Absalom. Judas did have Jesus undone. Would Jesus not have spared Judas? But there was no repentance. There was no remorse. He did not know Jesus. So we have a larger betrayal. That's the inner betrayal. Then we have the larger picture. We have to look at Absalom and Lucifer. First of all, one thing they have in common is their beauty. Listen to what scripture said about Absalom. In all Israel, there was not a man so highly praised for his handsome appearance as Absalom. From the top of his head to the sole of his foot, there was no blemish in him. 
In Ezekiel 28, this is what it says about Lucifer. This is what the sovereign Lord, what God says. You were the model of perfection. You were full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you. Ruby, topaz, emerald, chrysolite, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. And on the day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God and you walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until wickedness was found in you. They both were created with great great beauty and great potential until wickedness was found. They both had the same intentions. Absalom was not content being the king's son. That was not going to suffice. He deserved to be king and he was going to make sure he got it. As a matter of fact, when anyone, when they came, if you remember, when we go back to uh, chapter 15, the people would come to the gate and Absalom would stand there and they would have their complaints and their concerns and be like, I am so sorry the king doesn't have anyone here to listen to you. There's not even a representative from the king. That's just, I am so sorry. He should care more about what you're going through. You know, if I were king, I would be here for you. I would listen and take care of, I would, I would intervene in your problems for you. And then it even goes on to say that, that when they went to, um, he would reach out his hand and he would take their hand and he would kiss their hand. And he began to win the hearts of the people in rebellion against David. We see the same thing with Lucifer in Isaiah 14, 12 through 15. How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend, ascend. (laughs) Above the tops of the clouds, I will make myself like the most high. They had the same intent. But their method is the same. We just talked about how Absalom did it. He stole the hearts of the people. Come with me. Like, I'll take care of you. Let's create a better kingdom than what David has. And what did Absalom do? And, or, sorry, Lucifer in Ezekiel 28? It says, through your widespread trade or traffic, you were filled with violence. You sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God, and I expelled you, O guardian cherub. The abundance of your traffic That meant, in Hebrew, going from person to person to person. But Lucifer didn't go to people. He went to angels. You know, God, we, we could have a better kingdom than what God says. I'm the most beautiful of them all. Like, surely he meant me for greater things. I think we could do better. God is, God is holding back on us. Isn't that what he said in the Garden of Eden? Hey, you know, God's holding on, he's holding back on you. He doesn't want you to be like him because he wants himself to be the only one with knowledge, the only one with power. And the truth is you can have the same knowledge and power. He lied and he stole the hearts he manipulated. And if you think he's done, then you're not paying attention because he's still doing it today. We've we've allowed God to be pulled out of our schools. 
He has, he has slithered his way into American culture so effectively that he is stealing the hearts of pastor's kids, stealing the hearts of kids that grow up in church where they're deconstructing stuff. He has manipulated his way. He has not stopped. As a matter of fact, he is so good at it. A third of the angels, imagine they're in heaven with God, and a third of them decided he was right, and it was worth it to follow him instead. We have to pay attention to this part in particular, and I'm going to come back to it. I'm going to start wrapping things up here. The undoing. Beauty and pride became the downfall. So we know Absalom, his hair, he got caught up in the tree. And Ezekiel 28 says about Satan, your heart became proud on account of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor, so I threw you to the earth. And they were both undone by a tree, by the way. Absalom completely undone by the terebinth tree. That was his downfall. That was where his end came. And Lucifer, although he celebrated the crucifixion thinking he'd gotten some victory over God by killing the Son of God, that was his downfall. His defeat happened that moment on the cross when Jesus says, it is finished. I think of, uh, I don't know if there's C.S. Lewis fans in here, but it, uh, the Chronicles of Narnia and the white witch is, uh, you know, she kills Aslan, the lion, who's like Jesus, and, and she celebrates the great lion is dead. Well, then Aslan comes back to life, and, and the kids are confused. They're like, what happened? We saw her kill you. And Aslan says, well, the witch knew the deep magic, but there was a deeper magic still. Lucifer knew, but there was more power than even what Lucifer understood. And then their finality came at the pit. They took Absalom, cast him into a pit. They threw rocks over it. The battle was over. Everyone went home, and David would rule as king. Isaiah 14, uh, 13 through 15, Satan said, it says, You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I'll ascend. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to the grave, to the depths of the pit. And in Revelation 20, here's what we see. An angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss, holding in his hand a great chain. He seized that dragon, that ancient serpent, which is the devil or Satan. He bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss, locked and sealed it over him. In the days of David, there was betrayal within the bigger betrayal, a conspiracy within the conspiracy. Ahithophel betrayed David, but it was a bigger picture of what Absalom was doing to seize the kingdom. It's interesting that they didn't know Judas was the one. We have to know our word, we have to be alert, we have to pay attention. The betrayal of Judas was a small part of a bigger picture. Satan is still trying to play this out in the life of every believer. It repeats again and again, and it's going to repeat again, and it's ultimately going to play out for the whole world to see when Lucifer's representative, the Antichrist, shows himself. 
and it will be another last battle for who gets to rule and reign. It's already been won, by the way. Spoiler. It's already been won. There is no victory that Lucifer gets to have. It's done. It's been sealed. Jesus said it's done. It's finished. So that battle's over. But there will be, there are more he's trying to deceive. And so that's where we come in. This affects you in a couple ways. If you're a believer, you have to understand what's at stake and our responsibility to illuminate truth. We have to have an answer and understand that this book from Genesis to Revelation is about Jesus. You have to be encouraged in your faith, but you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, you have to be alert. Listen to Matthew 24, 24, where it says, false Christ's false prophets will arise. They will perform great signs and wonders. So as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. If you think you're not susceptible to deception, and you can just listen to those podcasts and listen to those teachers and not open God's word and have a relationship with him yourself, you are subject to deceit. You have to be like a Berean. You have to get in there. Paul said it. Go check out what I'm saying. Check for yourself. You've got to be a student of the word and you've got to have a relationship with Jesus where you're actually talking to him. Because it's going to get worse. The deceit's going to get worse. And it's going to be harder. You have to be prepared. If you're here, and this is all like, what in the world? You don't have a relationship with Jesus. You don't know God that way. God's kindness to you is that you're here. His kindness to you is to bring you to a place where you can repent. Because the truth is, he doesn't want to lose anybody. Jesus came that none should perish, you either. And so if that's you and you're here, there's no like, I got to go read more. I got to go figure this out. I mean, look, if that's where you are, that's fine. But the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Today's the day because the truth is a time will come where this great epic battle does come to an end and the side that you're on is going to matter. So don't delay. Things aren't going to get easier in our world. I don't care who we elect. We're in times that we can't, this isn't about men, it's about people. We need an eternal mindset. We need to understand this is about so much more. I mean, yeah, that's a battle, but there's a bigger battle. If you're here and you're not a believer, let me ask you, what if you're wrong? I mean, you are. (laughs) But what if you considered maybe you're wrong? You see, God's not coming at you mad. He wants you to come home. He wants you to be a part. He doesn't want you to be like an Absalom. He doesn't want to lose a son or daughter. He wants you home. He wants you safe. Because whatever we go through here on earth is just a snap. He wants you with him. And the opportunity to be on the right side of this epic, this adventure, this epic 
life and death, bigger than life thing that's going on, the opportunities now. I'm gonna have our prayer team come up. Would you guys bow your heads and close your eyes for a second? If you're in here and maybe you are that person and you've not considered the idea that maybe you're wrong, and you've never considered that there are two sides and there might be a right one and a wrong one and, and you wanna maybe get on the right side. You wanna have a loving father whose heart is to be with you, to protect you, to have you with him. And you wanna do that today. Would you just lift up a hand? If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.